0: You're listening to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements, brought to you by Jabba.io. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. So why am I doing a podcast on virtual engagements? Well, effective virtual engagements can increase your quality of life and significantly improve your income. This has happened to me, and I want to share all these virtual tips and tricks from experts around the world with you. Hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. Today, I have a virtual guru on the line. Her name is Rowena Hennigan. She's a remote work skills expert and lecturer. She's passionate about best practice in the remote working environment and supporting and learning and development in that area. Why? Because she believes like me that remote work has afforded her an amazing work-life balance and it's also sustainable and better for the environment. Her current title is lecturer and project consultant. Welcome, Ruina.
1: Thanks, Alistair. Very comprehensive introduction there. I appreciate that.
0: As they say in Ireland, Kate, Kate Mila Folcher.
1: Tuffaltero, Tuffaltero. Uh-huh.
0: So, uh, like most Irish, you're probably musical. So, do you, you sing, right?
1: Yes, I do. I do sing. Uh, uh, oh, I sing. I sing for my own more my own enjoyment. I'm not sure about whether uh, listeners would enjoy it so much. And um, I've also, throughout the years, enjoyed singing as a lot of Irish would do in sessions, as we would call them, in pubs. Very much okay. part of our part of our culture. I've been part yep. of choirs, choirs as well. But in recent years, I've found myself becoming very familiar with nursery rhymes, <laughs> particularly <laughs> particularly in Spanish, Alistair. <laughs> since we moved to Spain three years ago and one of the best ways of learning a- another language as you probably know is through singing so yeah. I, I, find, I find I come back to the voice and singing quite a lot in my life it's a constant theme and my daughter also loves to sing She's learning the harmonica, actually, at the moment as well. Oh, so, dear. Uh, yeah, we're trying to, exactly. Uh, my husband has uh, bought a, a quite extra durable, strong set of earphones, earplugs that he goes around with yes. <laughs> when she's practicing. But, yeah, yeah music, it, music is, is, is a passion of mine. And I, I really love the power of the voice and the potential to express through yeah. songs. Fantastic. We're, singing,
0: we're singing from the same hing, hymn sheet, no pun intended. So what got you to Spain? How did you end up in Spain? Why did you end up in Spain?
1: Uh, Well, sort of a... I always say a domino effect of reasons, but uh, both myself and my husband up until our move three years ago were working more uh, remotely too. So I was on some projects in Dublin which enabled me to work remote and my husband was with a a remote first tech company in Dublin. So he would often spend uh, some days working from home. And when our daughter was small, that was really good, obviously, for Mm -hmm. sort of work-life balance that he had that flexibility. And unfortunately, our daughter has asthma Uh, chronic asthma she's actually much better that was the reason for moving to Spain since we chose to move to the warm environment here the warm climate and and that was the main driving factor because we were finding it increasingly difficult to live in the dampness of dublin with yeah. a with a child with a weak chest so yeah like one of the, what happened was remote was there for us both and then we realized we had the options to move and his company was very supportive and we ended up in zaragoza which is not that well-known. It's near the Pyrenees in yep. the region of Aragon in Spain. But it's been fantastic and we absolutely love it. Spain has welcomed us and the Spanish with open arms and watching our daughter integrate and learn her, her, <laughs> her Spanish so quickly. Uh, it's, it's a fabulous place to, to bring up a child and obviously the benefit of both the climate and on her health and our quality of life, plus the health system here, which is also of a a, a very high standard was something that we just relished in over the, the the months after we moved. And on top of that, both of us being able to remote work and support that work life balance that we both appreciate with it, with a young, with a young child is, is something that, you know, I'm passionate about. I also noticed after I moved here because my, my commute wasn't that much in Dublin but because I was able to work from home we were using occasionally a co-working space here but over these last few years as you mentioned I really noticed the sustainability of remote work in terms of, not just in terms of personal sustainability but on the environment. Simple things like not taking up office space, not commuting, yeah. Yeah. not supporting local cafes and food producers because you can cook and prepare food from home Um, buying second-hand office furniture for example for my my makeshift home office these little things all add up if we've got lots of people doing them so that's also been a common theme in my interest Um, when I talk to people about personal sustainability I also bring in that bigger picture for the malister that they're aware that if they were keeping count of the decrease in commute and their other consumables related to working, that they might be quite surprised at how beneficial it is for for the the wider environment
0: yeah yeah sure sure sure, and I mean I guess over the years between you and your husband working for these remote companies and also for yourself and in the home environment, you must have come across or understood what the best practices would be for doing this at home and also interacting with these remote companies. Could you share some of those best practices that you've it's discovered? Def-
1: definitely. And then my, my story to remote started in 2007 when I was working with Nortel, a telecommunications supplier, enterprise telecommunications supplier, they're now called Avaya, um, which people may know that are listening. And there they had a, a, a a factory, or <laughs> R&D place in Galway in the west of Ireland. But we had a couple of international projects there, and I was on one where we were encouraged um, when we were travelling around that we could work remote. We had the setup at the time. Um, but we would go back to the physical office, and I guess you would describe that as slightly hybrid or co-located now. There's so many yes. terms in the space. But it, it started me thinking, because what I noticed personally for me and I mean, I'm a teacher and a lecturer now, and I love I love the area of education. And I guess you would need you could probably draw the conclusion that I would be quite extrovert to be able to either hold a class or or go on a you know a live webinar. But the thing is that I also love my quiet time. I'm quite reflective. I like deep work and deep thinking time for mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed back then is that when I when I was able to work from home on different days, and if I controlled my work day. By saying oh this day I'm working from home this Tuesday or whatever it may be I'll concentrate on that report for four hours with no distractions yeah. <laughs> and, and what became apparent to me was I was quite self-disciplined and back then people would say to me oh I bet you just watch TV and I'm like we might watch TV later in the day but I'll get the work done first because then I can enjoy that free time later so it started that awareness in my brain what suited me to work and in terms of my approach to work and that I needed those those separate times away from the distractions of the office. I did I did at the time occasionally miss the office and enjoy the social interactions when I went back in there, but that yeah. started me thinking and reading and being interested in the whole approach of the different models of remote work and all the terminology and the descriptions. So you've got teleworking out of the the States, you've got distributed teams, you've got all of these terms, co-located, hybrid. But the the reality is that um, from 2007, there has been, uh, well, from 2007 for me, but from the 1970s, there has been uh, teleworking as was originally known, uh, coming out of the States um, Jack Neils in NASA started that and he started the first project looking at saving money for NASA and what it was about was being able to uh, enable a project team to work from home and save on commute. So that back in the 70s was the start and sen- from on from then right into the noughties and where we are now there has been various developments in the space. But where my interest was peaked is when I started reading certain books and hearing about these fully remote companies. And WordPress, uh, it's owned by Automatic, or the, the umbrella company is Automatic, who develop WordPress, is a fully remote company. There's no headquarters. It's um, headed up by the CEO, Matt Mullenweg. And I started reading about these different companies from about the early 2000s, 2005, that were appearing with no physical location, and yeah. uh, I became fascinated in their operations and how they did things. So that's that's where, uh, and, and also with my husband being a remote worker, his background is in Agile, which is a type of project management. He's yeah. a Scrum Master, and they again in that space, in that PM space, are very. F- remote friendly in their operations. Yep, yep. And w- and there would be a bit of a history and you know, a context there. So between the two of us, yeah, I mean pillow talk is interesting for us, <laughs>
0: Alistair, <laughs> because we
1: <laughs> we end up reflecting on on, you know, why are you doing this this way and what about that? But um, I guess I guess what one of my one of my passions is trying to join the dots between the existing traditional and I use that carefully, <laughs> business world that term, or the the way things are done in a lot of more uh, traditional companies and what they can learn from looking at these leaders or trailblazers over in the fully remote uh, space.
0: Yeah. And so what what are the pulls? What are the things that they do differently or do well that other companies who are thinking about this well, they have to do it now, but are thinking about maybe, well, actually, do we need to have that office of so many square feet? Maybe we can halve halve it and have some remote workers, some office workers, or a hybrid model. What does Avaya and WordPress and all of these other companies do well? What do they do well?
1: I, I think by default, they have trust there. Okay. And that, that, that's, I mean, it's a very flippant thing to say because it's, it's something in a culture that's often very hard to define yep. and capture and replicate. But when you say to a, a worker or collaborator, an employee, a teammate, when you say, I just trust you'll get the job done. I won't check with you. I'm not yep. measuring on your hours at the desk your presence yep. in the office. Just I'm measuring you on your results and what those results look like. Right? Okay. Maybe not right to the end goal. The, the, I'm breaking down the process as well into milestones, which would be a good project management approach, anyway. So th- that's there, right? That's there. They, They are they excel at that, that, that defaulting to, to trust. And they do that through being so transparent in their operations and in their communications. And, and many of the, the, the companies I've already uh, referenced, um, Automatic, and um, if you then move on to GitLab, GitHub, um, Basecamp, Buffer, etc. They all, in the main, the majority of them publish their operational manuals, their handbooks, their playbooks, totally publicly available on their websites, okay? Mm -hmm. And within that, you can understand how they explicitly communicate and not only that, how they use communication best practice. So they're transparent, but through those publications and the sharing of those operational practices, but the level of detail in their Alistair, is fascinating as well. And there's there's often a detail below that we don't always, always see publicly, but the thing is that they have communication charters Not only at a company, division, um, team level, they often have them as well through uh, statements that happen between managers and people that report to them one-to-one. They sometimes have a communication charter even for a project, on a particular project, right?
0: What does that mean?
1: And that means that they agree terms and norms for how they're going to work and how they're going to communicate, and up until this point in the conversation, I have not mentioned technology, and I just, <laughs> other than the Microsoft communicator, but at underpinning all of this, they then default to the different, we will use Slack channels for this, we will do a, a check-in call on video then, um, if there is issues, this is how we will deal with them. They often have scenarios within that, so they kind of role-play or work out what will happen if are certain issues. There is, in my experience from my reading and certainly in my husband's space, the the one-to-one with managers that also happens quite regularly, they have that down to quite a good art. And it's something I believe that they do a lot better, given that it's done virtually most of the time, right, um, mm-hmm. than, than in-person companies would do. So, but here's the thing as well that we can learn from. They know it's organic. They know it's living. They know it's growing. They know they are growing as people, as an organic or organism type of a company, as an operation with their products, the environment is changing. So they reflect and they update those communication charters, protocols, policies, details regularly, and it's built into their operational structure. So they don't write it (laughs) and then leave it (laughs) sitting on a drive somewhere. It's a living thing. And they have people... They are all ingrained in their approach. It starts from onboarding with the staff that they bring on, and um, where documentation and the way they write and record things is a really key, key part.
0: Of Documenta- the yeah, documentation yeah. that is shared as well.
1: With the transparency, exactly, Alistair, with the transparency there, so it's available to all.
0: Okay. And so you're saying which, which companies do this? GitHub?
1: GitHub, GitLab, uh, you can find Buffer, Basecamp, Trello, which is a project management. Yep. There are lots of them. Um, there's been more shared over the last few months. I mean, there were, there were as you know, with the uh, response to coronavirus, there has yep. been where there was maybe a high level document. And now you can get full details of the document. So um, I, I think people say, oh, yeah, the remote playbook is available from, from GitHub, for example. But I don't think they actually stand back and realise when they look at the detail that that model of that detail is then being replicated day to day in these other smaller teams, maybe smaller projects, that that builds a cultural understanding, uh, first of all, that you need to have those norms set for interactions virtually. And then next within that, which I hope is a takeaway for people, <laughs> is that direct respect on that, that they are constantly saying, how can we improve it? How yeah. can we make it better? And going back to it. And I believe, I believe those two things, the level of details that, that are there on an operation level that we may not see, I mean, a lot of it is public, and, then, and, and also that um, they're, they're improving it all the time, Alistair.
0: So the main heading would be communication and communication would have a factor of trust and transparency, which would mean that you'd have to talk either over a Slack channel or talk over a MS Teams call or a Zoom call or a video call to build that trust. And then you have the transparency from those calls in detailed, thought out, reflective documentation. Which is an iterative process.
1: Perfect. Couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> active
0: but, listening, Rowena. Active uh, listening. Active.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. And also, what they so so I think to also understand how well that documentation has to work. They are doing a lot of their onboarding completely virtually, Alistair. Mm. So so they want to be able to hand over. And I mean, it, when we say documentation, just to be clear, it could also have a video explainer. It yeah. could have a, a video tour of their Slack channels. It could have a nice step through how to. It could be built on an e-learning platform in some way to be a little bit more automated for the, sure. the employee onboarding. But the point is that it has to be documented in a process that is, would like a teacher knows, the only way you really know something is to explain it to someone else and know that they understand it from that. explanation and go back and make the changes necessary to improve it so I think that's why as well because onboarding wise they need to have that level of detail and then secondly as well obviously they are improving it all the time and they are finding those operational efficiencies productivity improvements from the constant review of those processes and documentation
0: yeah that was going to be my next question so what So what they've got all of this trust and transparency, communication, Mm -hmm. documentation, and text. And what are the business benefits? What problems does it solve? Because I asked that question because I know from, my clients and just looking at the comments on LinkedIn recently over the last six weeks, two months, people are going, I'm doing so many Zoom calls and so many calls. And I'm I'm just like wall to wall of calls, but I can't get anything done. So this virtual thing is actually added to my workload. How can I make this thing work for me? How can I make it better?
1: And that's a very good point because the knee-jerk reaction during COVID was for everyone to suddenly be mad for doing these long video calls, right, and yeah. moving. So there's been a general misnomer, misunderstanding that, that that's what people are doing. And I go back to my earlier point where I said, and, and you can find this, for example, on the base Basecamp um, site, which I'm, I just happen to have some of the statements in front of me, um, but that one of the things that they say is, we give you the time to do the work, right? So it's about acknowledging that for the development work that a lot of these companies are in, they know you need dedicated time to actually go and code or document or look at process analysis or whatever part or design uh, front end or whatever it is you fit Mm -hmm. in that whole team. You don't need to be on calls (laughs) all the time. The, The framework should be there. So the productivity piece, which I mentioned earlier, I think that's a, a huge business benefit, that that they are getting productivity. And I'm going to, from, from the people that they choose to work with them and, and who choose to work with them, because the thing is, uh, moving to this type of remote may not suit everyone, okay? Because we're not talking about a light model. We're talking about where you're going to be interviewed remotely, right? You possibly won't meet, possibly, some of them do organise Face to face, but you might not meet your team till the end of the first quarter when you start, for example, right? Yeah. And because they do tend to have face to face as well. So productivity to answer your question, but secondly, these are a lot of these companies like, like Basecamp, etc. They're talking about four day weeks because they do believe the working week that work can be done much better when you can let people work in their best ways, right? Yeah. And that that um, and so I come back to that word sustainable. Right. So it's not about being present at the desk. It's it's about being immersed in a culture that lets you work your best way within that. Um, To quote from Basecamp, we value a calm company and deliberate deliberate concerted effort. You'll have a lot fewer meetings, a lot less email, and I'll just add there some of these companies have no email, a lot less interruption. It turns out eight hours are plenty of time to get work done. And you don't slice your day into tiny work moments.
0: No, I I agree. I concur. So there's time saving, there's operational efficiencies. But what about, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What about a higher sales team? Sales teams Mm -hmm. and you've got a whole bunch of guys who are 40, 45, 50, 55, and they've been doing things the old way. And they're saying, you know what? This virtual is crap. I can't really connect with my customer you know, uh, I like it, but, it, you know, it's not really for me. So
1: that, that's a really good point because many of these examples I'm giving, not all, many of them are SaaS companies. Okay. So the model for sales in these SaaS companies could be different to the p- picture you've just painted, right? The sales mm-hmm. team. And that is totally why this area fascinates me, Alistair, because it's not for everyone in terms of going fully remote. And I think if you were a traditional organization, and I'll give you a couple of examples in a minute, that we're moving to having a remote division. So a good example is HubSpot, which I'm sure you'll have heard of. Yep. They have a headquarters in Dublin, they have physical offices all around the world. They, about a year ago, year and a half ago, created a remote division. So they had slowly started taking some remote workers onto different projects for various reasons yeah and one of the reasons actually was was actually sourcing staff that's a can often be a reason in, in a lot of these high demand development um, skill sets and areas but they recognized importantly that not it wouldn 't suit everyone it wouldn 't suit every type of sales role it wouldn 't suit every type of of particular division but what or or, a team but they said well let's make a separate division and then we can cherry pick what who it does work for there might be the odd exception in teams but let's put in place the support for that division of who chooses to be a remote worker or where we work strategically to employ And, and 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 that, I hope, in a way answers your question because it's not a one-size-fits-all and I wouldn't be going into a successful or recommending to a successful in-person-based sales team, right, (laughs) that you suddenly say to everyone, go remote, but could you look at flexibility, right? Could you look at is there an option for where they can work from home occasionally depending on the person the team their work and whether it suits them right mm. but also going forward if you have an issue with recruiting if you have an issue with costs with office space what have you got to lose strategically to start investigating bringing it in over a period of time for new additions to the sales team uh, etc so it is a strategic decision, and it's not it's not um, a blanket approach that will certain will suit, uh, will suit certain teams. So I, 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 with the example you've given, I'm not saying that you would so- suddenly make them all remote and that that would work. <laughs> you know.
0: No, no, no. Sure. So what would you say if if you could give three? three sort of tips for companies or people who are listening to this and thinking, I think there is a model or there is some space to have a hybrid model. What would you say to them? What would be the next steps to do this?
1: Okay, well, the very first step, um, because I'm I'm being really current and working with what we have just now, is you will have been remote, more than likely listening, forced remote, emergency remote, uh, work from home during COVID, more than likely, or there'll be some, you know, some experience in that. What are the positives you can take from that? Many of the initial research that's coming out, Dublin Chamber, even from the end of March, reported 76% of workers saying they wanted to look at a flexible work policy after going back to the office, that they found they were still productive being remote. Mm -hmm. There's some good results coming out showing that there was gains, there was good experience out there. So Mm -hmm. start there. If you've been forced, and even if you went kicking and screaming, are there positives? Mm. Note the positives and reflect with them at a management or with a team level. And then, because I'm a believer in just getting on and do it (laughs) and get it done. Document that in some way. Call it learnings from our experience with COVID, whatever you want, right? But when you document it, start to say, well, what are these things that we can foster into processes going forward, right? So maybe you noticed that certain video, short video meetings worked. Uh, Maybe maybe you noticed that giving people the time to work on certain projects from home now and again where they needed that deep work uh, time that that was successful, etc. So that would be where I would start. That would be the first thing. Second thing, just start to educate yourself. There are some really fantastic uh, books out there. There, there is a couple of them you would read them in one or two days. Uh, Rework by the by Jason Fried, um, out of Rework from Rework um, from Basecamp. Um, I'm just looking at what I have near my desk, Alistair. The Year Without Pants that's I, I love the title about that of <laughs> that one um, which is about WordPress by Scott Birkin uh, John O'din has distributed teams which is a fantastic book as well and Lizette Sutherland has a guide for both uh, working remotely for individuals and managers called work together anywhere so we'll, we'll give the names of these in the show notes a lot of a lot of these authors are when you look up The base camp site or Matt Mullenweg site. You can find links to extracts from the book, so you don't even have to fully (laughs) buy the book. You can go and just select some of those. So I think that will get you started in just understanding the tone and the approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because culturally, for us to understand another culture, it's really good to just start reading and notice. I mean, I've read out some of. The statements like a calm, collected environment where you can focus on doing great work. And if you read that about a company, you would have a picture in your mind, maybe, Alistair, of this lovely, tranquil office, you know, architect's office, design office. This is this environment's all virtual. They let their, you know, they enable their workers to create this for themselves. Yep. So I, I I find that inspirational. So they would be the sort of t- two things I would, I, I would, um, advise and then the last thing because it's something that we all need to do more of and it fits in with a lot of the reading and a lot of the best practices in this space is how are you yourself because you can only start with yourself as either a potential remote worker a potential remote leader a potential remote team leader you need to start with yourself how are you with self-reflection are you making the odd notes here and there on areas gaps things that you're interested in and um, observations in how you are on video calls observations on what you need to get work done and yeah. that's a pra- that's a practice in itself mm. and uh, that that would be the third thing that I would recommend because it's something I try and do I'm not I'm human I'm not great at it every day but most days I do okay <laughs> Yeah. And I believe that it's it's uh, apart from being a, very, a really good uh, mental <laughs> health a- a approach as well, yeah. Yeah. and sort of sanity approach, um, it's something that people could, can really benefit from.
0: From perfect. So, like one last question before you go, which which playbooks, operational manuals, can you think of that uh, our listeners can go and have a look at that are on online? You mentioned GitHub, Buffer.
1: Yeah, GitHub. Buffer uh, Basecamp has an employee handbook. Trello has a full operational book that's our playbook that's come out. So those four, um, you can Google them um, and find them. I will also point you to remoteworktree.com, uh, which is a side project of mine. You can find out information um, about me, obviously, on rowenahennigan.com. But remoteworktree.com is a remote... Uh, resources site for all of these things for links to the different okay. articles podcasts playbooks and it is organized based on you arriving on the site Alistair is either an individual remote worker or potential one or a yep. leader and everything is categorized uh, under different types of resources and under those areas of uh, leader and an individual so you can use that as well but we would you know we can provide these different links in the show notes as well
0: Okay. Just so for our listeners, again, it's remoteworktree, one remoteworktree.com. And you are Rowena Hennigan. <laughs> and you That's have correct. your own website, rowenahennigan.com. That's correct. That's Perfect. Good. Well, thanks very much, Rowena. I think that was a fasc- fascinating chat. Very valuable. Uh, I'm going to go and look at some of those uh, playbooks myself and also look at your website. I think that's been very valuable. We'll publish this and put your details. If anybody wants to get hold of you, they can. But uh, thanks very much for coming on the show.
1: Really enjoyed it, Aster. It was lovely having a chat.
0: Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, please listen on any one of your favorite podcasting channels like iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor.fm. If you would like to be interviewed or need more information, please email me at alistair at That's A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R at J-A-B-B-A Cheers.